Good morning. Today is Monday, July 25th, 2022. The mitzvah to keep kosher is actually many, many different mitzvahs that come together. There are many different aspects, many details. Of course, in order to keep kosher, we have to use kosher species of animals and fish, etc. We have to make sure that the ingredients we use are kosher, and there are certain ingredients that are specifically problematic we have to be careful about, like anything that has cheese, anything that has wine, has special rules about it. We're required to keep meat and milk separate. We're required to make sure that uh, animals and poultry are shechted, slaughtered properly. And there's a very, very important rule, which in a certain sense is wider than these and has a very wide application. And that is in this week's Torah portion, this week is the double portion for us. In, in Israel, it is the parsha, the single parsha of Masai, but for us outside of Israel, it's the double portion of Matos Masai. We have the following passage. There is a battle that the Jewish people fight against the nation of Midian on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, just before the end of the 40 years, just before coming into the land of Israel. And in that battle, Jewish soldiers take spoils from the battle, from their enemy, and that included utensils, eating utensils, pots and pans and whatever other utensils there were. And the Torah says as follows, This is the law of the Torah that God commanded Moshe, these are different kinds of metal. Any utensil that was used for food, non-kosher, because of course it came from Midian, so the food that they were eating was non-kosher, and any metal utensils, any metal utensil that had been used with hot food, that had been uh, put into an oven or on top of a fire or had hot food put into it, it requires a koshering process of putting it back through the fire, putting it back into connection with heat in order for it to be pure, in order for it to be cleansed and able to use as kosher. And this is the basis of a concept that we refer to as tam ki'ikor. The taste is like the ingredient. Let me explain what that means. When you take a metal utensil, metal is porous. May not seem that way, but it is. When you take a metal utensil and you cook something, let's say you make a pot of soup, the heat causes particles of the food that you are cooking to be absorbed into the walls of the utensil. They're not visible on the outside. We're not talking about a residue that you can see. We're talking about what is absorbed into the walls of the utensil. The next time you cook something else with that utensil, some of what had been absorbed previously will be released. And that means tam, 
the taste, meaning the particles that have been absorbed into the utensil, although they are not visible, ki'ikr, when they are released, it's as if a certain amount of that food is now added, one of the ingredients, to the second food. Now, the truth is you can see this. Uh, certainly, you can see this with a cast iron utensil, which is even more porous than, let's say, stainless steel or something else. If you do this, you take a big pot, a cast iron pot, and you cook a pot of uh, chicken soup. And then you empty the pot and you wash it with soap and cold water so there's no residue. Then you take the pot again and fill it with water, bring it to a boil. You will see a film develop on the surface. Where does it come from? You didn't put anything into the water. It's the residue of what had been absorbed when you cooked the chicken soup. Now you're cooking the water a second time. It is released into the water. And therefore, if you were to use a pot with a milk ingredient and cook it, even if you were to empty it and wash it with cold water, the next time you cook a dairy food, uh, I'm sorry, you first cooked a milk, a dairy food. Now you're going to cook a meat dish in this same utensil. What's going to happen is the dairy particles that have been absorbed from the first cooking will be released. And now you're going to have a mixture of meat and milk. And that makes it trafe. That makes it not kosher. That's why we require separate dishes. We require a set of pots and pans for dairy, pot and pans, pots and pans for meat, dishes for dairy, dishes for meat, silverware for dairy, silverware for meat, etc., etc. Because even though the ingredient that I have right now is kosher and fine by itself, but if the utensil had been used previously, whatever had been cooked in the previous time is now considered an ingredient to this uh, mixture now. And it causes a problem. And this means that kosher food, completely kosher, if it is cooked in a non-kosher utensil, that food becomes treif. It becomes non-kosher. Now, all of this applies in the presence of heat. In the presence of heat, the metal utensil will absorb and then, again, in the presence of heat, the metal utensil will release. If it's cold, then, under normal circumstances, there are a couple of exceptions, but under normal circumstances, it will not absorb and it will not release. With one major exception, and that is a knife. If something is cut with a knife, a sharp knife, that is considered, according to Jewish law, even though it's cold, the knife is cold and the food is cold, but it's considered as if the same transfer of particles took place as if it was cooked in a pot. So, a kosher food cooked, cooked in a non-kosher utensil is not kosher. A kosher food cut with a non-kosher knife, even cold, is non-kosher. So, this concept which again comes from our Parsha, is the basis for very, very important and very relevant application of Kashrus laws. Uh, you know that uh, people have many different standards. When a person says, I keep kosher, 
people mean different things by that. Uh, some people keep kosher in their home, but they eat non-kosher outside of their home. Rabbi Riskin used to joke that that means that their dishes will go to heaven. Okay, some people will eat out in non-kosher restaurants, but they will uh, only eat foods that are kosher ingredients, like uh, in a non-kosher restaurant, they'll eat fish or they'll eat salad. The problem with that, first problem with that, is that unbeknownst to you, you may actually be getting a non-kosher ingredient that you do not know about. For example, now my uh, information on this subject is a little bit outdated. So what I'm saying applied a number of years ago. I don't know that it applies today, but the example is a valid example. For many years, people who would say that they keep kosher would eat McDonald's uh, french fries. Of course, if you go to Israel to the kosher McDonald's, there's no problem. But anywhere else, people would eat McDonald's french fries because they thought that they were vegetarian. They, they thought that the french fries, it's potatoes, and it's cooked in vegetable oil. Well, actually, it's not cooked in vegetable oil. When they said vegetable oil, they meant vegetable oil mixed in together with beef fat, non-kosher beef fat. So a person can go to a place and think that they're getting something that, that is okay according to their standard. And in fact, uh, they will not know the facts uh, accurately and will eat something that's absolutely non-kosher. So in a non-kosher restaurant, it is impossible to know exactly what you are getting, even if you think it's only kosher ingredients. But even if it's true, even if it would be true, let's say you go to a non-kosher restaurant and you have a baked potato. It's a baked potato. It's a potato. It's wrapped up in foil. It's put into an oven. Or fish. It's a piece of salmon. Okay, forget about the fact that it is very, very prevalent today that fish that looks like one kind of fish can actually be a different kind of fish and a customer would never know it, leaving that problem aside. Or a salad. A salad? What's wrong with a salad? Or a tuna salad. It's tuna fish and mayonnaise. What could be the problem? So there are all kinds of problems with that. But the most simple is that if it was baked in a non-kosher oven, or it was cooked in a non-kosher utensil, or it was cut with a non-kosher knife, it's treif. It's not kosher. As soon as the knife touches it, it's no longer kosher, based on the mitzvah in our parsha. Now, there is a very important principle in Jewish law and in Jewish life, and that is <clears throat> we do not agree with a all-or-nothing approach to religious life. If a person minimizes an infraction, that is also a mitzvah. So, I would urge every one of us, wherever we are on the spectrum of kosher eating, to at least try to improve at least a step. If we don't keep kosher, maybe we should consider koshering our home, at least our home. If we do eat non-kosher out, 
Maybe we would consider choosing a food in a non-kosher restaurant that at least is kosher ingredients. It doesn't mean the food is going to be kosher. It's still problematic, but it is one less problem if the actual ingredient is kosher. It's a step. It's not sufficient. doesn't mean that you're keeping kosher, but it's a step, and every step is positive. If a person is uh, eating out uh, in a non-coach restaurant, salads or fish, for example, at least try to choose those items that are not cooked or not cut by a knife. Again, it's still not going to be kosher. There are still other problems involved with it. But whatever step we take to minimizing the infraction is a positive step. And so it's not all or nothing. It's not kosher or treif. There are all of these gradations in between, and a person should try to generally, gradually improve and increase their observance over time. Because every step that we do take is valuable. So let's just examine a few very practical scenarios. If a person is going to a non-kosher restaurant and they're going to order, let's say, fish or salad. So the first problem is it's non-kosher because the utensils are that are used to cook the fish are treif. That means the fish is treif. Uh, salad is cut up with a knife. It's a non-kosher knife. Even though it's cold, the salad is non-kosher. In addition to that, there are all sorts of ingredients that you may not think are non-kosher, but in fact they are. For example, any type of vinegar that does not have kosher supervision could have non-kosher wine added to it. Even if it's apple cider vinegar, even if it's white vinegar, it could have wine added to it, which would be non-kosher. Or there could be cheese in something. Or there could be vegetable oil, which according to the law, if it does not have a kosher symbol, could be several percentages of animal fat mixed in. You wouldn't know that. In a commercial kitchen, all sorts of things are added to foods that are prepared that you don't know about, that you would never imagine are actually in the foods that you're eating. Even if you go to a vegetarian restaurant or even a vegan restaurant, a lot of people are under the impression if they go to a vegan restaurant, it's got to be okay. What could be the problem with it? Well, there are a number of problems with it, and it's absolutely non-kosher unless it's under kosher supervision. For example, again, there's oil. If the oil doesn't have kosher supervision, it could have up to 4 to 5% animal fat in it, even though it's a vegan restaurant. And it says 100% pure vegetable shortening or vegetable oil. It could have that amount of animal fat added to it. Or, as I said before, any vinegar could be non-kosher. Any natural flavoring or coloring can have non-kosher ingredients, which would very well be used in a vegan restaurant, but it could still be non-kosher. And very often in any restaurant, not all of the utensils are new. Very often a restaurant will get their utensils, their pots, their pans, their knives, etc., from a restaurant supply place. And very often they will buy secondhand. So, those are utensils that were used for non-kosher. They may be clean, but the food absorbed into the walls of them is still there. And when they are used again, it releases it into the otherwise kosher food. So 
those are just some of the uh, issues, and there are many other issues. Um, but clearly, a vegetarian restaurant, a vegan restaurant, yes, maybe a person is minimizing the infractions involved, but it is not considered kosher. If a person wants to go to buy fish, raw fish, so number one, of course, so the, the best thing, of course, is to go to a fish store that has kosher supervision so that you know that everything there is kosher, so you have no problems. But let's say you want to go to a non-kosher, to a place that sells raw fish, and it is not under kosher supervision. Well, here are the issues. Number one, you can only buy it if it's a whole fish, where you can recognize that the fish has scales and therefore it's a kosher fish. That's number one. You cannot rely on any sign or anyone telling you this is salmon, this is trout, this is uh, halibut. You have to actually see the fish and be able to see the scales that are there before you take it. That's number one. Number two, you would have to bring your own kosher knife. So if you have a whole fish and it's cut with your kosher knife, that would be okay. But if it is cut with a non-kosher knife, meaning in a fish store that has kosher and non-kosher, and you're using the knife that's in the store, even if the owner tells you, I only use this knife for kosher fish or whatever else the worker or the owner tells you, it is not reliable and it is considered non-kosher. What about an ice cream store? So most ice cream stores, certainly in North America, let's say, um, First of all, Ben and Jerry's, that's a separate issue. I'll leave that up to your conscience. I'm not going to discuss that. But let's say haagen ice cream or uh, one of the other uh, places where a lot of the ice creams are kosher, but there are certain items that are not kosher. Maybe a few of the flavors are not kosher. Maybe some of the toppings are not kosher. So, of course, the best thing is to go to a place where it's under kosher supervision so you know that everything in the place is kosher. But... If you go to an ice cream store where, let's say, many of the flavors are kosher, it's fine to go. Let's analyze it. Number one, you have to make sure that each ingredient that you want has kosher supervision. So you have to check the label on the ice cream container that you want that says it's kosher. If there are toppings that you want, you have to check the container to make sure that those are kosher ingredients. If you choose all kosher ingredients, that's going to be fine. Even though there may be an ice cream scooper that's used for the kosher ice cream and it's also used for a non-kosher flavor of ice cream, that's not going to be a problem because it's all cold. You have a scooper that may have touched ice cream, which is cold, and now it may touch another ice cream, which is kosher, which is also cold, it's not a problem. There is no transfer of flavors, especially because ice cream stores are very careful to make sure the workers wash the utensil in between one flavor and another because the ice cream store doesn't want, if you order chocolate chip, doesn't want you to get uh, nuts in it if you didn't want that. So they're careful to wash off what is visible what is absorbed is of no concern because it is cold. Keeping kosher is a fundamental nexus of mitzvos. It is basic to our identity as Jews. 
And in order to do it properly, it requires learning. It requires study and it requires keeping up to date because things change, especially in produced foods, manufactured foods. Food technology causes things to change all the time. What we had assumed was okay on its own without checking becomes a problem. And so we have to keep up to date. We have to learn. We have to be aware. And we have to always ask questions. There was a shul that called a deli. The secretary in the synagogue called a deli because they wanted to see if this deli could cater a function in their synagogue. So the secretary called this deli and they said, can you tell me, does your deli have rabbinical hashgacha? And the man at the counter of the deli said, yes, ma'am, we do. And it's $4.99 a pound on special this week. So you have to ask, you have to know, and you have to be careful. But once you've done that, and it is kosher, make a bracha and enjoy it. My friends, have a great day. I look forward to seeing you soon in person.